This film is lit, the podcast where we finally settle the score on one simple question. Is the book really better than the movie? I'm Brian, and I have a film degree, so I watch the movie, but don't read the book. And I'm Katie. I have an English degree, so I do things the right way and read the book before we watch the movie. So prepare to be wowed by our expertise and charm as we dissect all of your favorite film adaptations and decide if the silver screen or the written word did it better. So turn it up, settle in, and get ready for spoilers, because this film is lit. So, through good times and bad, famine and feast, the villagers held fast to their traditions. Until, one winter day, a sly wind blew in from the north. It's Chocolat, and this film is lit. Hello, and welcome back to This Film is Lit, the podcast where we talk about movies that are based on books. Very excited for our Valentine's 2023 <laughs> special. Valentine. There's no S, right? Or is there? I can never uh, remember. I think there is. Yeah, I think you're right. It is possessive, right? Like Technically, Valentine's it's a feast day. day. Yeah. Okay. St. Valentine. Right. So, yeah. Okay. Anyways, <laughs> our 2023 <laughs> Valentine's Day special episode, we're talking about Chocolat, a film uh, and book that Katie had read before and uh, read again. So we're going to get right into it. We have every single uh, I don't have a lost in adaptation. Yeah. Technically. That's not, I mean, I kind of, some of my, what was that in the books, border and verge into that a little bit. But in general, we do not have a lost in adaptation, but we do have every other segment. So we're going to get right into it with a brief summary. If you have not read or watched Chocolat, we're going to catch you up. Let me explain. No, there is too much. Let me sum up. Okay, so I'm just actually just going to read from the back of the book. Perfect. <laughs> when beautiful, unmarried Vianne Rocher sweeps into the pinched little French town of Lascanet on the heels of the carnival and opens a gem of a chocolate shop across the square from the church, she begins to wreak havoc on the town's Lenten vows. Her uncanny ability to perceive her customers' private discontents and alleviate them with just the right confection coaxes the villagers to abandon themselves to temptation and happiness, but enrages Père, Père Renault, the local priest. Certainly, only a witch could stir such sinful indulgence and devise such clever cures. Renault pits himself against Vienne and vows to block the chocolate festival she plans for Easter Sunday and run her out of town forever. Which or not, she'll never tell. Vienne soon sparks a dramatic confrontation between those who prefer the cold comforts of the church and those who revel in their newly discovered taste for pleasure. Okay, that's f close enough, I would say, to the movie to, yeah. <laughs> to just do one. There are some details that don't mesh, but we're going to get into all of that in our later segments. So for now, I'm just going to say that's that's good enough. <laughs> Close enough. All right, Katie, we have uh, actually quite a few uh, characters for me to to suss out in Guess Who. Who are you? No one of consequence. I must know. Get used to disappointment. Okay. All right. I think you can do this. Oh, boy. I believe in you. He is in his 30s. Though from a distance, his rigid stance makes him seem older. He turns toward me, and I see that he too is a stranger, with the high cheekbones and pale eyes of the North, and the long pianist's fingers resting on the silver cross that hangs from his neck. 
Okay, so um, initially, based on the movie, I would say I'm only going to get this, honestly, because of the summary you just read, I mm-hmm. think. Because <laughs> <laughs> obviously in the movie, uh, I would say this is the priest, but based on the, uh, which is, uh, it sounds like from your summary there that they the maybe com- uh, split a character into two. We will discuss. I'm going to say that this is the priest slash Pere Renaud. Renaud? Renaud? Renaud, I think, yeah. Um, who in the film, those are two different characters, mm-hmm. but it sounds like in the book they are one character. I'm going to say this is that character, Renaud. I will say specifically it's him because, um, one, I got the clue that that it's him in, in the book because of the, the, the cross hanging from his neck specifically being referenced. I will say, apart from that, I think it fits because it says he's... Uh, he is in his 30s, though from a distance his rigid stance makes him seem older. That implies about his character uh, mm-hmm. quite a bit and that that fits in line with Reynaud's, Kit Reynaud's character in the in the film. Uh, although I'd say he's probably a little older than his 30s, maybe. Yeah, I think so. But maybe not. I, I could also see it 30s-ish, late 30s or something like that. Uh, this, is, this is set in the 50s where people looked much older, <laughs> at least to our current day eye. Um, so yeah, I'm going to say Reynaud. You're right. Woo! Correct on that count. I win. <laughs> the first one. <laughs> black skirt, black coat, gray hair coiled and plaited into a neat, complex bun. Her eyes were sharp and black as a bird's. Black skirt, black coat, gray hair coiled and plaited into a neat, complex bun. Her eyes were sharp and black as a bird's. This has got to be Dame Judy Dench. This is Armand. It is Armand, yeah. <laughs> Which that was very confusing having just watched White Lotus. It's a very different Armand in season one of White Lotus. <laughs> but anyways. I saw her more clearly now. Long black hair twisted back into a knot. Eyes so dark they seem pupilless. Her eyebrows are perfectly straight, giving her a stern look belied by the comic twist to her mouth. Hands square and functional. Nails clipped short. She wears no makeup, and yet there is something indecent about that face. And she is tall, too tall for a woman, my own height. She wears a long, flared, flame-colored skirt and a tight black sweater. Hmm. Okay, so the, the first... There's two people that come to mind for this. This would either be Carrie Ann Moss's character, who I can't remember the name of. Uh, Caroline. Caroline who is like the assistant for the, uh, well, the mayor. Mm-hmm. Uh, Raynaud in the book, in the film, is the mayor of the town. Uh, whereas in the book, it sounds like he's the priest. But she's like his secretary or something, something along those lines, mm-hmm. it seems like in the film. Um, and I'm assuming maybe that character is in the book, who kn- or who knows. Uh, the other potential character this could be, I think, would be the wife. Uh, and I, I, I'm not remembering any of these names. Um, the wife of, except for him, because they say his name a lot, Sergey, the cafe owner, the abusive cafe owner. And his wife's name is Josephine. Josephine. Those are the two characters. The one that strikes me the most likely, uh, based on the hair and and the stern look and all this sort of stuff and the comic twist to her mouth, I would say that this is Carolyn. Caroline. This is actually Vienne. Oh, interesting. I don't know. Okay. I can see that, too. I assumed... No, that totally makes sense. I guess I assumed... We were from her perspective, so I thought uh, when it said I saw her more, too much. I I did, yeah. <laughs> I, I when it said I saw, I was like, oh, that clearly can't be Vienne. So, huh? Okay. All right. 
I will say that makes per the rest of the description makes perfect sense. Uh If I had just gotten past the fact that I thought it couldn't be VN (laughs) because of the perspective it was written from, I would very it would be very obvious. The flames colored skirt, the uh, no makeup, but something indecent about it. Yeah. And I'm guessing now reading that that this is from Reynad's perspective. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. (laughs) That makes perfect sense. All right. Tartan coat, hair scraped back in an unflattering style, hands deft and nervous as a gunslinger's. She has long fingers, oddly delicate in spite of the calluses on the fingertips. In repose, her face seems to lose some of its dismayed expression, becoming almost attractive. Her hair is a soft brown, her eyes golden. Okay, I'm going to say this is Josephine. It is Josephine. The abused wife. Yes. Yes. The second man was short but powerful, checked shirt rolled up over shiny red forearms, small intellectuals glasses oddly at variance with the thick, fleshy features. Um, short but powerful, checked shirt rolled over shiny. Oh, oh, okay. This is uh, Sergey. Yeah. 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 The, the, um, the cafe owner slash abuser of Josephine's yes. husband. <laughs> His name is Paul in the book. Okay. Um, but yeah, same character. Okay, last one. I think you can get this one. I, if, I've if, already read if, it, and if, I um, feel nothing very confident. based on context clues. feel very confident. On the deck of the black boat, a man sat with his back to me, fishing. Long red hair tied with a scrap of cloth, bare arms tattooed to the shoulder in henna. That would be Rue. That would be Rue. The river rat, as he is called. Uh, him and his people are called in the film. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, uh, John, Johnny Depp's character, the love interest of Vien in this in this film. Yeah, no, that yeah, that was very easy. Obviously, um, he doesn't have tattoos. I don't think in the I don't film, think we ever see his tattoos. bare arms. And, he, and his hair is maybe not red so much as like a rusty blondy. Yeah, it's kind of well. Like it looks it know. looks like he has brown hair, and then he did a little bit of a bleach bath on it. Yeah, is what it looks it's got like, like a slight movie. reddish tinge yeah, to it. That, that kind of yellowy orange that yeah. you get when you bleach darker hair. Yeah. Okay, uh, yeah, I, I only missed one there, right? Yeah, sweet. Yeah, it was I, like I said, pretty pretty straightforward. I was only tricked by the perspective switch, but not too bad. All right, I have quite a few questions. Let's get right into them. In was that in the book? Nicholas Flamel is the only known maker of the Philosopher's Stone. The what? Honestly, don't you two read? The film opens and we get a narration, uh, a vo over the top of it. That starts, once upon a time, there was a small village in fr- or something like that. I don't remember mm-hmm. exactly. Um, but I wanted to know if that narration was like kind of, if the book starts once upon a time, if that narration feels like it comes from the book or if it's like a movie kind of, if, if we have that like storybook framing that we get in the film in the book. Uh, no, none of that opening narration is from the book. Okay. So that was a... Because that's like a uh, third yeah. person. Yeah. Well, actually, we find out later it is revealed that that is... Um, a nuke. A nuke, the yeah. daughter of Vien. But um, yeah, okay, not in the book. Uh, so does uh, in the intro I referenced this line because they the the narrator is explaining you know this this quaint little French town and stuck in their traditional ways. But then one day a sly wind blows in from the north, and that line felt very specific. And it was also in the trailer, and I was like, that's got to be from the the. It's very fairy tale. It's very like. 
maybe not even fairy tale is the right word, but it's very folklore yeah, or whatever. Um, and I wanted I wanted to know if the if they if uh, Vien and Anouk blow in on the North Wind in the book like they do in the film. So they do travel with the changing winds, but and feel free to correct me if I'm wrong here. I don't believe it's ever specifically mentioned to be the North Wind in the book. I tried to flip back through when you asked that question. Yeah. I didn't see anything okay. specifically denoting the North Wind, but they do travel with like the, as wind. the wind. Yeah. Changes or kind of like Mary Poppins. Yeah, right. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> the wind blows them in. Yeah. Uh, but I like that the movie specifies the North Wind because actually the North Wind does pop up in folklore pretty frequently, um, often personified as something that brings changes, both good and bad yeah. kinds of changes. But yeah, it's a it's a it's a it's an omen of change in mm-hmm. a lot of stories for sure. All right, so they move into the town, and as they're they're kind of they're looking around, they they find the shop, and they that she's moving into to open a um, a chocolate shop. We'll find out eventually. It's not clear right away, but she ends up talking, finding an empty shop, and talking to the the landlord, the owner of this shop, which is played in the film by uh, Judy Dench. This is the character Armand who we'll find out later is the mother of Caroline or Caroline, who's the assistant to Reyna at the, as who is the mayor. And there's a lot going on with that that we'll get to, but uh, they rent this, this, this apartment from because it's an apartment above a shop. It's a very like, you know, little quaint town thing mm-hmm. or, or city thing for that matter. And as they're kind of moving in, Judy Dinch comes and like shows them into the place. And as Judy Dinch is leaving, so they're looking around before she leaves. They're looking around and like uh, Vienne turns the faucet on and it's like just like sputtering brown waters coming mm-hmm. out and there's like cobwebs and and it's it's like a mess. It's like it's clearly has not been looked after in quite some time. Um and as Judy Dench is leaving, she goes, I'll expect you to keep it in good condition. And I was like, fucking landlords. And I wanted to know <laughs> if that line came from the book, because that one cracked me up. Uh, No, it doesn't. Um, She does rent the shop in the book, but she does it through like an agency. And Mm. Armand is not her landlord. So we never see or interact with her landlord in the book. And ultimately, it's, you know, uh, Armand proves to be an interesting layered character who's not just an evil landlord. But that first (laughs) introduction when she's like, keep it in good condition after we've seen it's in terrible condition. It's like, yep, that tracks. That is (laughs) that is every landlord I've ever dealt with. Ever. (laughs) Amazing. Uh, All right. Next one is a big question based on the number of notes you have. (laughs) So I wanted to know if uh, the premise that kind of gets going here, she starts setting up this chocolate shop and the the main uh, conflict that plays out over the course of the film is Vien and her chocolate shop of sinful earthly delights Mm. versus Reynaud, who's the uh, mayor of the town and a very strict Catholic um, who's very uh, he goes to church all the time and he's he's very much in favor of like keeping the town in keepings with like a very traditional um uh, div- uh, I don't even know the word a very traditional like catholic conservative town uh-huh. and so the the main conflict is between the two of them to some extent and I wanted to know if there is an evil catholic mayor who wants to keep everyone all catholic and miserable so this is our first really big change that we're going to discuss. And we've already mentioned it um, because my, my summary gave it away. Yeah. Uh, but in the book, Renaud isn't the mayor. He's he is the priest. Yeah. So the young priest that we see in the movie 
is actually from one of this book's sequels, oh. but he does not appear in Chocolat, the book. Uh, Pere Henri. Henri, yeah. um, And they at least borrowed the name. I've never read any of the sequels, so, so I, I don't know how similar is. the character is. Yeah, but they at least Re- grabbed the name. Real quick, did you notice who that actor playing Pere Henri was? No. I had it in my odds and ends, but this is a, as good a time as any. Uh, that is because we were joking about how specific this person we just it was in something we just watched recently. I want to see if you can remember real quick before. I don't. Always... I looked at your notes, too, and I don't remember <laughs> what you said now. <laughs> he is uh, the king in Three Musketeers. Oh, yeah. He looks different. Yes, because he doesn't that, have uh, the long, the like, Dora the Explorer haircut or, uh, or the what's his, Lord uh, Farquaad, Lord Farquaad yeah. haircut. He's got short hair in this, <laughs> but it's very, I was like, oh my gosh, that's him. And it was very yeah. funny because I remember during the Three Musketeers episode, we talked about how, you know, distinct looking he is. Mm-hmm. Um, obviously, the hair was a big part of that, but also uh, we were like, we haven't really seen him in anything else. <laughs> like, I, I was like, I don't think I've ever seen him in anything else. Uh, but yeah, like a less, what a month or two later, he pops up in another yeah. movie. It was interesting. So this is a change that I'm a little torn on. I think in the movie, it becomes far easier to understand exactly what Renault's problem is. Um, I mean, in the book, his his problem is that he's very like tight-laced and, and Catholic and, and Vienna is kind of the antithesis of that. Um, but in the movie, we can see like very clearly someone who has spent his entire life doing the quote-unquote right thing, Yes, but his wife still leaves him and yeah. now he Runs feels away like, to Italy. yeah, he feels impotent and is grasping for control of yeah. something. Yeah, he very quickly spirals into the, yeah, power-hungry, yeah. impotent, authoritarian sort of leader of the town because, yeah, his life yeah. is out of control. Um, whereas in the book, he just already is like that type of person and we find out more about his backstory later yeah but it's kind of just more like baked into his character rather Mm. than us seeing like oh this obvious thing right that has set him on this path and i think that's interesting i will say real quick i i do think it the the vibe i got in the film is that he was like that all along and that's in fact what drove his wife away yeah, no, I think you're right. Less so that his wife leaving turned him into that. Maybe it, it, it elevated it. Is right, I think. but I think he's always been that way, and that's part of the reason. No, his yeah, wife what left. I'm saying is that the movie gives us like a very clear catalyst right yes. up front. Yeah, that explains like why he immediately becomes so obsessed. Yeah. with this crusade. Right, right, right. Yes. Um, so I think that's interesting. I also think it's interesting watching him basically use this young and experienced priest as like his puppet. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I thought that was very cool. Yeah, I think maybe some light commentary on the relationship between religion and politics. Oh, yeah, definitely, um, for sure. But Renaud cuts a much darker figure in the book. He's a nasty little man. Um, just obsessed with imposing his ideas of morality on everyone around him. Uh, and, and his hatred of Vienne and what she represents to him, I think, is much darker as well. Hmm. The book, as I mentioned, is written in alternating viewpoints. Um, oh, so we get yeah. some chapters from Vienne and some chapters from Renault. We get pretty intimately acquainted with his thoughts, and they are dark. Um, he's completely obsessed with rooting out evil, By the end of the book, he's willing to do that by whatever means necessary, totally abandoning any pretense of Christian values. He's also extremely patronizing of everyone else in the town. And I mean, 
everyone. He's always referring to them as sheep, as children, right? They're all stupid and weak and they need a strong hand to guide them, etc., etc. He's also constantly punishing himself and he thinks that everyone else around him should be doing the same thing. He's Frollo. Yeah. Yeah, he's Frollo. Yeah, he's like, Frollo. Literally Frollo. And she is, uh, uh, Vianne <laughs> is, uh, what's her name? Uh, Esmeralda. Esmeralda, yeah. <laughs> uh, so the movie takes a lighter, more hopeful route with his character, especially by having him be like redeemed at the end. He gets kind of a little bit of... Not a redemption arc, really, but yeah. like we get that hint at the end that like he's going to be OK. Yeah, and I will say I that was my one of my least favorite parts of the movie was his redemption, quote unquote, mm-hmm. felt a little just like, all right. And he's yeah. better now. And it's like, I don't know. Now, that's not something that happens in this book. I believe it does happen in one of the sequels that he gets more of like a redemption arc. Yeah. However, this book is. A pretty hard line critique of religion, yeah. particularly Christianity. Yeah. Whatever critique of religion you got from the movie, multiply it by like a thousand. Really? That's I the mean, book. the movie is not yeah. subtle. It is very much, um, um, well, it's subtle at times. But and I, I actually yeah. think that the movie kind of watered that down by distancing him from the church. By having him be, the, be mayor the mayor instead of the priest. Yeah. I think they, like you said, they tied it back in by having him be influencing yeah. like he actually kind of i think it is kind of clever he almost is essentially the priest but then we get yeah this I, and i actually really like the idea of having him you know manipulating this younger inexperienced priest but then this newer priest has actually much more humanitarian or humanist mm-hmm. sort of ideals and, and and opinions about religion and the world and all that sort of stuff that are being completely curtailed by this again uh, uh, authoritarian um, mayor who's controlling him for his own ends and that sort of thing. I think that's a really fascinating kind of tweak to the story that allows you to like kind of have your chocolate and eat it too. Okay. (laughs) I was in the middle of saying that sentence and I was going to say cake. And then I was like, no, wait, (laughs) no, wait. So, uh, obviously, as you mentioned, religion, religion is a big part of this, but there's this one little line early on that cracked me up is as she's kind of preparing the store, the, uh, she has all the, the, the windows like covered with paper as she's preparing. She has not told anybody what she's putting in, mm-hmm. but somebody asked her, I think the mayor, somebody was like, oh, you, cause it, the shop was a patisserie, yes. which is like a bakery basically. Uh, and she tells somebody, it might be the mayor or somebody else, that it's not going to be a patisserie, but she doesn't say what it's going to be initially. So everybody's, like, really interested in, like, what she's doing and because she's this mysterious new woman in town um, without a husband. And <laughs> <laughs> there's this very, very brief scene in the movie where these two little kids are, like, kind of peeking through the, the the windows to see what she's up to. And they're talking to each other. And I just love their exchange. One of the little kids goes, I heard she's an atheist. And the other kid goes, what's that? And the first kid goes, I don't know. <laughs> I loved it, and I wanted to know if that line came from the book. So that line is not from the book, but I did enjoy it. Um, In the book, Vienne is more frequently accused of being a pagan. Yeah. And let's face it, she is. Oh, yeah. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. You know, she's a witch for sure. Absolutely. But, you know, you can be both (laughs) to some extent, at least. No, Uh, for sure you can. Yeah. Uh, Yeah. That line just cracked me up. It's like, what is it? What is that? I don't know. (laughs) It's like, wait a second, you're in France and you don't know what an atheist is? You guys invented atheists. <laughs> it's not true, but very famously, a lot of a lot of atheists in France, um, at, at least a certain point in history. <laughs> a 
I was going to say, were there in 1959? No, probably not anymore, but you know. There was that one period 100 years before that or whatever where there was uh, quite a few. Um, I'm sure the timeline on that is wrong. You know what I'm talking about. <laughs> you, guys, yeah, you guys know history. Blah, blah, blah. Anyways, um, so uh, she finally opens it. It is a chocolate shop. She puts up a sign. It's called Chocolate Chocolaterie Maya or something like something that. Something like that. It's, yeah. it's different in the book. Yeah. In the film, it's called like cho- whatever the French word for a chocolate ch- chocolatier or whatever <laughs> a chocolate shop is. Uh, I think it is like chocolaterie or something like that. Um, And then Maya, and it's got like a son. And we'll find out it's a whole backstory with the South Africa or South America and her parentage and lineage. And it's very complicated. We'll get into it. Not complicated. Very. I have thoughts on (laughs) it. Yeah, we have thoughts on it. We'll get into it. (laughs) Point being, she opens this up and uh, people start coming in. And she does this thing when when she gets customers in. Uh, Her and her daughter will both do this where they have this like ceramic plate looking thing it's like a top it has like mm-hmm. a little yeah it's like a top but it's more like the size of like a dinner it's like plate. the size of a plate yes but it has clearly acts kind of like a top where they spin it and while it's spinning they ask the customer like what do you see in this and it's got like a bunch of like engravings mm-hmm. on it or whatever um and then it's kind of like a rorschach test and whatever they say this influences what vn like what kind of chocolate she gives them um and i wanted to know if that specific detail of her using this like spinning Rorschach plate test thing as a a way of picking chocolates for her customers. Cause I thought that was really strange. And also every time they showed it and they're like, what do you see? I'm like, it's just a blur. You cannot see. Yeah. <laughs> like, you know, <laughs> a Rorschach like I can get like, okay, you can pick stuff out, but that was like, it's just, a, <laughs> and a part of that's a film, like the film and whatnot, but it's just like, I, it's like a blur. <laughs> I can't see anything. So that's not from the book. Uh, Vien does possess a kind of clairvoyance in the book, and she does guess people's favorites um, with alarming accuracy. Yeah. But I totally understand the movie wanting a visual aid for that element rather than trying to, like, that's so Raven, like, (laughs) explain (laughs) that she's, like, feeling them out psychically. The movie transitions to that, though, because she actually stops using that plate or the spinny thing, at least from my memory. They don't use that the whole time and eventually she does just kind of like yeah this is your favorite without any sort of input she just looks at him and like you know yeah but it, but I, do, like, I think it's a good like kind of like visual aid yes, to get that to idea like started yeah, yeah absolutely i agree so uh carrie ann moss's character uh jo- no caroline uh, who we mentioned in the film is the uh, like the assistant of Reyna, Reno, the mayor. Um, and I wanted to know, uh, she has a son in the film named Luke, I believe. Mm-hmm. Uh, and we see early on, we see him. He's like a troubled little boy to some extent. They don't go into a lot of detail, but uh, he's very like, kind of reclusive and doesn't talk to people and that sort of thing. But we see him drawing and his art is incredible <laughs> in the film. Like it's like he's like he seems to be like eight or nine years old and or maybe a little older than that. But it's just drawing incredibly detailed, like fantastic art uh, artwork, and but it's also all really weird and yeah, dark and kind, kind of, of like, like grotesque. Grotesque, and I wanted to know if that element came from the book, and if Carrie Ann Moss is raising either the next great artist or a serial killer, because <laughs> it could be both or neither. You know, either. Yeah. I don't know. Well, Luke is in the book, and he is. I wouldn't call him troubled. He's withdrawn. He has a stutter. Yeah in the book um but we never see him draw anything so that's a movie edition yeah 
I also, to be fair, I don't think he's troubled in the film at all. He's, no. like, misunderstood by his mom and stuff and other yeah. people in the town. And she's very, like, both in the book and the movie, she's very, like, overbearing. Yeah. And that doesn't do, like, any good things no. for him. No. But he, but but the drawing element is not something no, from the book. No, not something from the book. I really liked that, especially where it goes later with him and Armand. I don't know if you mm-hmm. have a note about that, do you? About I don't, but I, okay. I do like it. I really yeah. like because later on, so Armand is his grandmother, and they they've never really they don't speak because Caroline and Armand had a falling out. Yeah, they so don't she get along. Armand doesn't really get to see her grandson anymore. Um, but he kind of eventually comes and like visits her at the chocolate shop because she hangs out there a lot. And eventually in the film, he comes and uh, VN sets up this thing where he uh, he comes and does a portrait of her and then gives her this portrait at the end um, in a really sweet little scene. And I so I like adding that drawing. element. Mm-hmm. I also think it's a nice way to kind of visually show how he's misunderstood, because it's it's very obvious to us as an audience how talented and like, <laughs> you know, uh, uh, unique this child is. But his mom just can't really see it. And so giving us something concrete to represent that, I think, was a good. A yeah, good for sure. Okay, so uh, then we get into kind of the the chocolate shop is running along. We're starting to get customers in, and this woman comes in, and Vianne, like, kind of soul reads her and gives her some sort of chocolate. She's like, wow, this is amazing. And then uh, at the end, as she's leaving, she gives her a a bag of unrefined cocoa nibs uh, that she says are for her husband because they'll make him... She says something very Awaken the passions. Yes, awaken the passions, I believe, is what she says. Uh, and then we cut home, and uh, the the this guy who's kind of a deadbeat, he just seems to like... He doesn't, he doesn't seem to be like an alcoholic or anything, but just like no, a lazy bum. Yeah. Like, he just kind of sleeps and doesn't... He's, he's, not a, he's a tired guy. Yeah, he's just a tired guy who's not really interested in his wife or whatever. Uh, but he eats some of these cocoa nibs, and then just they go to Pound Town immediately. Uh, and they come back the next day, and they're like, you got any more of those cocoa nibs? And So anyways, uh, I wanted to know if the sex chocolate, uh, <laughs> the Viagra chocolate, came from <laughs> the book. So that does not happen in the book. The movie, I would say, is far more like upfront, like surface level with the idea of chocolate as an aphrodisiac. Mm-hmm. Now, there's definitely a connection between food and sex in the book, but it's more folded into, like, evocative descriptions of food that let the reader fill in the blanks. Um, you know, just this right. general idea of both of those things being, like, a temptation. Yes, like luscious, um, yeah. you know, yeah, sinful experiences yeah. and whatnot. We also get far more of that, connection and like the connection of food and sex to being like forbidden temptations from Renault's inner monologue than right. any other character yeah because he can't stop thinking about it yeah which we get in the film too because yeah. we get like a scene early on where his because it's during lent the whole film t- film takes place during lent and his 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 housekeeper or somebody brings him like a croissant mm-hmm. <laughs> or no some for like a baguette and some jam or whatever and he like looks at it and like licks his lip and like smells the jam but he won't eat it yeah um, so that we definitely get that a similar illusion in the film. So we then eventually do get the background of where Vianne comes from, her backstory. She's telling uh, 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 Anouk has her favorite story that she wants her mom to tell her and uh, to like bedtime story. She tells this story and we kind of flash away in the film and actually see this backstory. Um, and it's the story of George and Chitza. George is this. I don't know what he is. He's a pharmacist. He's a pharmacist. Yeah. Who ends up going to like South America to, I guess, study or look for plants or. Yeah, to study medicinal properties of, of or plants and whatever. Things. Yeah. Um, or colonize, honestly. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and uh, 
but as he's there, he, he you know he they they show him chocolate and they sh- they make him some like um hot chocolate basically. Mm-hmm. Uh, and he's like, oh, my God, this, this is amazing. And then he falls in love with Chitza, who's like one of the local indigenous women. Uh, it's it's all very quick. We, this is like a matter of like two minutes, you know, that she just tells this story without many details. They fall in love. They they run away together, I think, back to America. Yeah, like he takes her US back to where, or yeah, wherever. Or wherever he's from. Um, maybe France. I don't know. And then uh, probably France, right? Obviously, because. Yeah, probably. She's French, I think. So anyways back to france and uh they have vm so vm is the daughter of these two but they're they move around constantly uh, and then i think george leaves or well what, or... what it is is that the george was warned not to marry chitza because her people are like a nomadic people and they travel with the wind yes. so they're like hey, she's not gonna be a good wife right. like she's not gonna stick around yeah. with you and then like shortly after they have vm she takes vn and just leaves ah okay so yeah so then her and vn go from town to town selling chocolate being you know chocolate witches i guess or whatever <laughs> um <laughs> for lack of a better term uh and i wanted to know if that whole the story of george and chitza is vn's backstory and if that comes from the book so it's not it's not from the book um and i, I have to call this one better in the book yeah because i, I really strongly question the movie's decision to insert a magical person of color trope yeah into the story yeah so vian's backstory in the book is that she's always led like a transient life with her mother and i just don't think that the movie needed to make her mother and like quote unquote exotic native to make that interesting. Yeah. Um, and then on top of that, that would make Vien half Mayan. Yeah. And I'm pretty sure that Juliet Benoit not is even close. not. No. <laughs> no, I don't believe so. No. Um, the one thing that I will give that change is that it does root the chocolate aspect of the story in the actual origins of chocolate. Yeah. So there's that. But the rest of it is is kind of diffy. It does it does feel like a well intentioned um, oof <laughs> to me. Yeah. Like one of those things where it's like, oh look, let's actually you know acknowledge where you know the the chocolate comes from and acknowledge mm-hmm. sort of the the indigenous roots of it and that sort of stuff. But we'll do it in just like a really yeah. problematic. But we're way. gonna do it with like a a mysterious native princess. Yes, stolen like, away by yeah. a white dude. Like it's it's yeah it's yeah it's not great. Um, but you can see what they're going for. But you're like, oh, okay, all right, yeah, not not ideal, not not by any stretch. We then uh, a side plot that is going on throughout all of this. When we mentioned it during the uh, guess who segment, is that there's this character name uh, in the film. His name is Sergey, who runs the local cafe slash bar, and he has a wife uh, named uh, Josephine, Josephine, who uh, he is abusive to. And this this is like a running plot throughout. Um, and I wanted to know. Uh, I believe at this point, yeah, at this point, basically what happens is that. Josephine, uh, Vienne kind of talks Josephine into leaving him subtly without she, in not she so many words. She gives her a little bit of encouragement. A push, yeah. yeah, a little push. And Josephine so do, does in fact then leave Sergey and 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 comes to Vienne's chocolate shop and ends up staying with her and working for her and learning how to be a chocolate maker or whatever. And um, at one point, Raynaud finds out, like, I think Sergey comes to him and is complaining that his wife left him or whatever. Mm-hmm. And Raynaud comes and is like talking to josephine 
about having left him and like you know you guys got to get back together because that's not you're still yeah. married and the, well, the sanctity of your marriage vows yeah blah 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 um but uh during that moment vn shows him that sergey had been abusing her and mm-hmm. shows her like this bruise and this cut on her forehead and Reynaud is very taken back by this he's like very you know he's like oh shit i didn't realize um and you know he's not he's not covering up for the like he's not like cool with it but <laughs> it's complicated um but he says your husband will be made to repent for this and i loved uh josephine's comeback line to that as she says tell him to repent on someone else's head <laughs> and, I was yeah. like, Ooh, and i wanted to know if that line came from the book i don't recall that exchange being in the book and i think i would have written it down in my notes they have an exchange that's kind of similar in spirit uh, where Renault tells Josephine that he's praying for her, and she replies, then your prayers have been answered. I've never been so happy. Mm, yeah. um, but overall, I think the movie's line is better. Yeah, it's great. Uh, we then kind of get a little bit of a montage of of Vienne and her effects on the town and all that sort of stuff. We're kind of moving through time here, and we we, we get uh, this this little short scene where they're in church on a Sunday, which Vienne does not go to church because she, again, is, is uh, an atheist slash pagan slash witch slash not catholic or <laughs> christian and uh, so she doesn't go to church but uh, so the parishioner we're, we're sitting in church and there's a parishioner sitting in the back uh eating chocolate and we get this great moment where she's trying to open her chocolate and you hear the cellophane just crackling throughout this entire old um church and uh ray no is like turning around trying to figure out who's you know unwrapping a Werther's original in the back of the church. (laughs) And I wanted to know if that scene came from the book because it was very funny. It is specifically mentioned at least twice in Reno's chapters that he can hear chocolate being unwrapped during mass. So that does come from the book. So yeah, the exact reference. Okay. Uh, All right. Next question. Another kind of a big one. Uh, We are introduced to Rue, the love interest of Vienne who shows up, he is a traveler on uh, with a, a, a large group of people. To some, mm-hmm. I don't know. In the film, it appears to be about maybe 20 people or something like that who travel on, like, river boats, river barges, kind of travel from place to place on these river boats. Um, and he is an... They call him an Irish river rat. He is Irish, and they call them river rats or whatever. Uh, and I wanted to know if Rue is in the book, if he is, like, a, a traveling around on the river um, or what his whole deal is, what's going on with Rue. Okay, so some stuff to unpack here. Yes, Rue is from the book. Uh, He's not Irish. It's specifically noted that he has a thick uh, Marseille accent Mm. in the book. Uh, There is a group of people in the book who live on boats and have a kind of like nomadic lifestyle where they float up and down the river and do like seasonal work, that kind of thing. part of that group? Yes, he is. Now... I'm going to say this word once so that we're all (laughs) on the same page. The book refers to them as gypsies. That is a slur. Uh, Obviously, no group is a monolith, but many Romani people have been clear that that word has been used in a derogatory way to discriminate against them. Um, And the Romani are historically and currently discriminated against discriminated against group, especially in Europe. Yeah, it is. It it is. It is. Like you said, nobody's monolith. It is widely regarded 
by the Romani people and, and especially like official Romani organizations mm-hmm. and stuff as a slur. There yeah. I've seen people discussing that yeah. certain Romani prefer being called that. I I, I don't know it's, the specifics it's of that. It's a little complicated. Yes. I wanted to say it once so that everyone would know for sure yeah. what I was talking about yeah. because I, it is a less discussed yeah. thing, especially outside of like the internet. Yeah, and especially if you're not in Europe or yeah. you know, in America we don't really have an experience. I mean, we know of the term, but most I so many people have no idea that that term is even considered oh, yeah. offensive. No. Like they have no idea. Uh, now, I don't think that the book's use of that term is intended to be derogatory or even to refer to the Romani people specifically. The river group is very clearly described as being made up of people of several different ethnicities. Um, the text is also firmly sympathetic to them, yeah. like very clearly citing yeah. against the bigotry displayed by many of the townsfolk in line with the themes of the story. Right. However... I don't think that intent outweighs potential impact. And I think the movie makes the right choice to not refer to that group in that way. Yeah. And I'm actually surprised they did. Honestly, uh, yeah. Cause, Cause you know, again, this movie came out in 2000 and you know, it's not, again, not that, that people weren't aware in 2000, but it's, it's just a lot of media pre 2015 or so that kind of just people just didn't even think about it. Yeah. Like so many people just didn't even consider it. Um, and so, yeah, it is, it is nice that the, that the movie did not, decided to move away from mm-hmm. using that kind of language um, while keeping the fact that the the heart of the book, which is that, we, you know, we should be accepting of outsiders. They're just normal people like everybody else, blah, blah, blah. Yeah, they're um, just trying to get along. Just trying to get along like the rest of us. Uh, another quick line that we get between uh, Renault and Josephine, uh, which is just great, is another scene where he comes to her and is basically trying to convince her that she needs to go back to, or no, not not Raynaud, sorry. Um, at this point, Sergey comes. This is yeah. when Sergey shows up, and he has been he's been working with uh, with Raynaud, the mayor, to like get his shit together. Mm-hmm. And he's like, the Raynaud has been like trying to sober him up and and like make yeah, him go like to church reform and him. blah blah blah, reform him. And so he shows up to try to like win Josephine back, and he's talking to her, and you know she's not buying any of it. And he he basically says to her at one point, he says, "We're still married in the eyes of God," and she she responds to him by saying then he must be blind, which is a great line, and I wanted to know if it came from the book. I don't recall this exchange being in the book either, and again, I think I would have written yeah, it down in my like notes, I uh, but I, I did like that line as well. Great line, then he must be <laughs> blind. Josephine, like a poet out here, spit oh, the yeah. truth. Fantastic. She's great. She was a very interesting character. I liked her a lot. Uh, then, so later that night he comes back because she, so she spurns him and turns him away, but he comes back drunk, uh, and angry that evening, uh, for revenge and breaks into the chocolate shop and he's like storming through the shop and yelling at them and trying to break. They've barricaded themselves in their bedroom and, uh, she's staying in the apartment with Vianne and Anouk. Um, and he's trying to break into the apartment to get to Josephine and he eventually does break in, but as he's breaking in, he yells, He's like insulting her and saying, you know, she's a terrible wife and blah, 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 that she doesn't even know to use a skillet. And I was like, as soon as he said that, I was like, 100 percent, she's hitting him in the head with a skillet <laughs> at some point in this scene, 100 percent. And then absolutely uh, after she he breaks in and he starts actually like choking Vienne because mm-hmm. um, he's mad at her, obviously, because he, he sees her as being responsible for Josephine yeah, leaving the instigator. Him. Yeah. Uh, and as he's choking her, Josephine grabs a skillet and slaps him over the head with it, knocks him out. Mm. 
Um, very satisfying. V- very satisfying. Uh, I knew it was coming. Didn't make it any less satisfying. I want to know if that happened in the book. <laughs> I will say the movie didn't need to explain the joke right after. It was so obvious it was coming. Yeah. And then she hits him. And then immediately after she hits him, she's like, I guess I can use this skillet. And it's like, okay, I did. We already knew. All right, we got it. You didn't I had to, to be a producer. No. Yeah. You didn't need to explain <laughs> the j- jokes are funny if you don't explain them generally, but like, okay. Um, but anyways, I wanted to know if that the, the, you don't even know how to use a skillet and then knocking them out with a skillet came from the book. So that scene and joke are not from the book. Uh, this scene is kind of sort of an amalgamation of two different scenes in the book. There's one where her husband tries to break into the chocolate shop but isn't able to mm. and is like screaming at them from outside. From outside yeah. And there's another scene much later in the book where Josephine goes back to the cafe to get some of her things thinking that he won't be there but then he is there and he like corners her and that ends up exposing his behavior to like the entire town overall though i prefer this scene to the book's depiction it's very scary i think having it yeah no it really is chocolate shop like violating their space in that way is is much more like again it's much darker and scarier um, and then having him like physically attack uh, VN, you like, I mean, I, I I assumed, like, again, I knew what was going to happen without mm-hmm. knowing what was going to happen as soon as he said the skillet line. Uh, and I, I was going to go out on a limb and say that we're, he's not going to choke our main character to death and like, you know, with 30 minutes left in the movie <laughs> or whatever. But <laughs> all that being said, it's still a very effective, like terrifying um, scene. And I, I think putting it in the chocolate shop just elevates that that terror. So uh, we've, we've talked a little bit about Armand's character. She's the the landlord in the film uh, that owns the chocolate shop era building and the apartment. She's also um, the grandmother of Luke, who we've discussed, uh, and she becomes very close friends. She's kind of seems like this bitter old woman at first when we meet her, but she uh, Vienne is able to crack her and make her, you know, figure out why she's so bitter and upset and kind of becomes friends with her and they become very close. And we eventually find out that, uh, Armand has um, diabetes. Mm-hmm. And so she should not be eating all this chocolate that she is, but she doesn't care because she's 17. She's going to die soon anyway. She's yeah. like, I don't care. But uh, Joseph, or Caroline wants to put her in like a nursing home, essentially. Um, but Armand doesn't want to go. But she finally, uh, Vienne kind of convinces her, hey, you need to go somewhere where they can take care of you because you have diabetes. And she's like, I'll do it if you throw throw me like an extravagant going away party. And Vienne's like, fine, I'll do it. And I wanted to know if that scene came from the book because I loved everything about, I really liked their relationship in this film. I thought it was really sweet. And I liked the whole dinner party scene. Um, and then them going to have dessert on the boats and dancing and all that. I want to know if any of that came from the book. Yes, it does. Um, the She does throw a big uh, feast party for Armand. And that, that part is quite similar. The big difference is that they don't move the party onto the boats. Is it for the same thing? Is she going to like a, a care like place? Yes. Or, okay. Um, now, she does die afterwards. Oh, yeah. Spoiler. I didn't mention that. Yeah. That she does die shortly thereafter. However, in the book... It's made very explicitly clear that she stopped taking insulin treatment several oh. days before the party and like fully intended to die following this meal. Yeah, it's not yeah. really it, Armand, to in the film. um her character really becomes this battleground for like bod- bodily autonomy. Yeah. And like her right to do what she wants with her body spoilers for the last of us episode three if you have not watched it yet just skip forward like 30 seconds she pulled a frank 
She spoilers did. for she did. spoilers for the last of us season <laughs> or episode three sorry i guess frank pulled in armand actually yeah. oh my god it's the same character he's the guy that played armand <laughs> <laughs> that is that's a weird random connection <laughs> That is very weird, random connection. Anyways, so after they go and they have dessert on Rue's boat and they have a big dance party and they're all playing music and having a good time, Rue and Vien sneak away uh, to go make love. Mm -hmm. And they do it on this weird little tented sex raft. (laughs) (laughs) And I want to know... If that happens in the movie, because that was very funny to me. And also it was very funny that it seems to just kind of drift to the shore. Yeah. Because later they get off of it. It's just kind of like down the down the river a little bit on the shore or whatever. Anyways, I wanted to know if the tinted sex raft. <laughs> Great like, band name. <laughs> tinted sex raft. This is my, like maybe my favorite stupid thing from this movie. It's, it's his little sex boat. Um, it's not from the book. There's no no sex raft <sighs> in the book. Rue and Vienne do hook up, but it's in the garden following Armand's party. Gotcha. Okay. They, have, they have sex in the grass. Fine, I guess. I, w- I would rather have sex on a sex raft yeah, than the grass, but to absolutely. each his own. Uh, so then um, during this big party, uh, Renault shows up with uh, basically Sergey sees this all happening, goes and gets Renault, shows him. And they're both staring at this big party and they're like, we got to do. And Renault says out loud, something must be done. We must do something about this or somebody must do something about this. And Sergey takes this as his. um <laughs> Uh, as as Renault kind of subtly telling him he should burn it all to the ground. Mm. And so Renault lights the uh, boat on fire and in an attempt to, you know, oust the, the river rats. And I wanted to know. And so we get this big fire. Nobody ends up getting hurt or killed, really. It just kind of destroys one of the boats. And it's a you know big dramatic event. Um, but I want to know if any of that came from the book. So... Yes, um, he he does set one of the boats on fire in the book. It happens earlier in the story than where it happens in the movie. Um, and Rue actually ends up sh- like stranded in town for the rest of the book because oh. it's his houseboat that like right. burns. Yeah. Um, and is not salvageable. Yeah. Um, it's interesting. There's a little bit more to it in the book. Um, I don't really have a preference, like, one over the other. Um, what we learn in the book was that this incident that happens actually echoes back to a different incident from, like, 20 years ago, like, 20 years prior to the events of the book, where the same, like, river people were camped out near the town, and Renault, as a young man set the boats on uh, fire yeah, to try to oust them. And actually, and then that time people did die. Ah, and so ah. that's something that's had been, has been like following him head, yeah. this, this whole time. Huh? Yeah. And that's kind of like slowly parceled out to you. Yeah, that that's definitely a more interesting aspect. I do think it works in the film having it be kind of late. You know, this is like the end of the second act roughly mm-hmm. or something like that as like this big uh, kind of moment that, yeah, forces, it's it's like a second act low point. Yeah, it forces Rue to leave. Like he's like, "All right, we're gonna get out of here because this is yeah clearly like dangerous. Staying around here is gonna be dangerous for me and my friends and family and stuff like that." So they're like, "Let's get out of here." Um, and I think that I think that works. Um, but yeah, I do like that that added backstory. With I will say that I think they probably would nix they nixed that from the film 
for a couple reasons, but I think one of the main reasons would be it would be a lot harder for us to get the redemption story we get with yes. Reno if we knew that he had murdered a bunch of people yeah. in a house fire, in a boat fire yeah. <laughs> when he no, was younger. No, for sure. And I think it would just be too much yeah. to work into the story that the film is telling, but... But that is what happens in the book. Yeah. Uh, and then uh, shortly thereafter, um, basically, something else transpires, but I can't remember exactly what. But Vienne decides it's time to leave. Uh, things are, maybe mm-hmm. not. Maybe that is just a boat fire. I thought there was but something There's else. the boat fire, and then they find out that Armand is dead. Oh, right. Armand dies. And she's yeah. like, all right, it's time to hit the road yeah, again. She, Let's get out of here. She feels the north wind calling her yes. to leave. And she's going to leave, but Anouk does not want to leave. Her daughter does not want to leave because she likes it here and she's tired of moving constantly yeah. all the time. And she wants to stay and they kind of get into a big fight. Um, and I guess I actually have two questions here. Um, one is uh, the thing that uh, initially um, Vienne has been carrying around her mother's ashes in like this urn thing. And that ends up falling and breaking as she's kind of wrestling with a nuke and trying to drag her out of the the apartment to get her to leave um and that causes a moment of uh you know calm where they can stop and then a nuke's like apolog- very apologetic and uh it kind of creates this moment again where it kind of stops the action and then right there after that they they hear some noise and they go down into the kitchen in the chocolate shop and a bunch of people from the town are there working together having a good time making chocolate um and it's a bunch of the characters we've seen throughout the film like Josephine and uh, the the couple that started <laughs> having the horny sex, couple. the horny couple, <laughs> and a handful of other characters, um, the old guy with the dog who, mm-hmm. and I think the woman that he has been kind of courting or whatever, um, whose husband died in World War One, and she's been <laughs> grieving ever since. Uh, and anyways, I wanted to know, and so she sees what she's done for all these people, and it kind of pushes her to stay. That along with seeing the pain that's causing a nuke, she's like, all right, let's stay. Mm-hmm. And I want to know if that was how that played out in the book. Cause I thought that worked really well. It felt, it was a very sweet, like tender moment. So no, <laughs> this is not how that plays out in the book. The The end of the book is kind of open ended, which there's a sequel. So like, that's understandable. We're kind of leaving it open. Uh, but the book ends with Vienne and a nuke still living in the town, but Vienne is definitely feeling that itch to leave. Yeah. And part of the reason that she wants to leave is because she knows that the town doesn't need her anymore. Oh, yeah. Again, like Mary Poppins. Yeah, right. She did what she came to do, and now she's no longer needed by the town. Wipe the chocolate off her hands and head out. So we don't see them leave in this book, but the second book takes place in Paris, so we know that they did leave eventually. Right, yeah. Yeah, no, I could see that, yeah. I think the movie's kind of spins it by going like, oh, look, she's helped these people. There's still yeah. more people she could help yeah. in this town and she can have a, a greater impact and that sort of thing. And then coupling that with, again, not wanting her daughter to, you know, be miserable. So, um, but anyway, so then we get to the big Renault, uh, Renault, um, <laughs> uh, heel turn face. Mm-hmm. And I wanted to know if this came from the book. Cause in the, in the, in the film, what he does is he's, he's very upset. Um, he's, he's losing his, he's, he just freaked out because he found out Sergey tried to burn the, the yeah, he found out about the boats and, and he thought it was just an act of God, but it turns out no Sergey and he was acting kind of on your orders. It wasn't what you meant, but that's how he took yeah. it. Um, and so it's kind of your fault and something else transpires. Oh, he, he sees Carol, um, not, yeah, Caroline go into the chocolate shop mm-hmm. and he's upset because 
you know, he he's kind of been crushing on her this whole time, his assistant or whatever. And when she goes into the chocolate shop and he's like, oh, she's won over her, too. And he's like all upset about all this. And he's losing his his grasp on the town. And so in, in a in a in a fit of rage, because the next day is Easter, I believe. Yeah. And she's going to have a big like chocolate Easter fest fertility festival. Uh, and he's like, how dare you? Um so he goes, he breaks into the shop and goes into the front window chocolate display where she has this special Easter chocolate display and he just starts destroying everything with a knife. Very, you know, on the nose, there's a giant naked chocolate woman that he just starts hacking at with a knife. It's great. I mean, it's good. You know, it, it's fine. It's good. It works. It's just, you know, it's not subtle. Um, it's like hacks off her limbs and her head. It's like, yeah, all right, I see what's going on here. But uh, he, he kind of just goes into this blind rage and at one point some chocolate flies up into his mouth or no i think at the first point yeah some chocolate flies up in is it does it happen at night or is it the next morning it's at night yeah some chocolate flies up into his mouth and he eats it and we get the world's worst close-up i hate that close-up it's the worst thing about this movie there's two of them back to back and the eye one's not as bad but the mouth we get this super tight close-up on his lips and he's got chocolate on his lip and he just Ugh, it's gross. Uh, it's, it's disgusting. And then it cuts to his eyes like dilating, and he's like, oh. Um, but he gets a little bit of chocolate, and then he just like, oh my god, chocolate's amazing. And he just starts eating all the chocolate. Mm-hmm. Uh, and this is, and then he passes out. And this is the event that changes him as a man. <laughs> what does it take to change a man? Apparently, just a buttload of chocolate. <laughs> um, I would believe that. Yeah. Yeah, and so he eats just a buttload of chocolate, passes out, and the next morning he's woken up by Vienne, uh, a cha- a changed man, reborn in the <laughs> in the in the land of chocolate. In the, in the, yes, in the, in the in a bed of chocolate. And I wanted to know if that is how that all plays out in the book because that's wild. <laughs> okay, so it's very similar. By the end of the book, uh, Renault has fully given up on trying to get what he wants by subtlety. So he decides to break into the chocolate shop and destroy everything so that the festival will completely ruin her and she'll have to leave. Yeah. Um, whereas, so whereas in the movie, what we see is kind of like this, like he's being overcome by rage and he breaks into the chocolate shop. The book is much more premeditated. He puts on a burglar mask and everything. Oh, yeah. No, he just he stumbles in there yeah. in his in his finest suit or whatever <laughs> in the movie. <laughs> Um, but where we get a similarity is that while he's destroying the window display and like the displays inside the shop, he decides to eat just one piece of chocolate Uh. and then he just completely breaks with reality and starts gorging on chocolate and like rolling around in it. I prefer that. I think it, this scene would have been much better if he had intentionally given mm-hmm. in to temptation i agree for one brief moment and actually intentionally eaten a piece of chocolate and then it the dam breaks plus we would probably be spared of the awful <laughs> close-up <laughs> shot of the chocolate smeared on his <laughs> lip or whatever because you just then you can just hold on a nice tight close-up of like his face holding a piece of chocolate and like staring at it mm-hmm. and it would still probably be a little upsetting as he ate it because <laughs> it's alfred molina like close-up eating chocolate but uh, it wouldn't have been as upsetting and I just I just like the idea of him like losing and just losing like mm-hmm. he 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 loses he he gives in to temptation yeah. and and then this again it's just kind of a weird freak accident that he gets some chocolate on his lip and then I don't know 
I did. I think I do think I prefer that the the books version of that. All right, last couple of questions. Uh, so then we cut to the next day, and uh, it is the Easter sermon. The pre or the mayor was going to have been preparing a a sermon for because this whole movie he's been you know ghost writing all of yeah. the uh, uh, the priest sermons, and he was supposed to write one for Easter. He didn't finish it. He tells him that the next morning he's like, I didn't finish your sermon, and the priest's like, That's all right. I'll figure something out. Uh, and then the priest gets up there and delivers uh, an impromptu Easter Sunday sermon that is beautiful. And uh, it preaches humanity and inclusion uh, instead of like divinity and exclusion. It's very short, mm-hmm. again, what we see in the film. Um, and I wanted to know if that specific uh, sermon came from the book because I thought it was fantastic. It doesn't. <sighs> um, so Renault, who we remember is the priest in the book, uh, he's so ashamed after this right, uh, yes. this chocolate incident that he runs off to the outskirts of town, and we don't see him again in this book. Uh, there, there is so there is no Easter mass, and they just start the festival early. However, strongly prefer the movie in this case. I love this sermon. Uh, easily my favorite sermon, and I think more people should hear it. Yes. Uh, and on that note, I, I I was originally I had this as part of it as the intro quote, but I didn't want to spoil it too mm-hmm. early. Um, so I found a different intro quote, but I just want to read it because it's very short. It's one of the reasons it's a great sermon. It's like, yeah, we <laughs> not even that. it's not even like a minute long. So this is uh, his sermon. We're going for we're talking Catholic. Technically, it's a homily and not a sermon. It's, he says that in whatever. <laughs> I'm not sure what the theme of my homily today ought to be. Do I want to speak of the miracle of our Lord's divine transformation? Not really. No. I don't want to talk about his divinity. I'd rather talk about his humanity. I mean, you know how he lived his life here on earth? His kindness? His tolerance? Listen, here's what I think. I think we can't go around measuring our goodness by what we don't do, by what we deny ourselves, what we resist, and who we exclude. I think... We've got to measure goodness by what we embrace, what we create, and who we include. Yeah, it's a great, and that's, I mean, that's, that's I think you might say a couple other things, but that's the the, <laughs> the main portion of it. And yeah, it's fantastic. It's, it's a, it's a, it's a homily this atheist can get behind. <laughs> okay, uh, last two questions. Uh, the, at the end, I know we found out at the beginning that we don't have the once upon a time kind of omniscient narrator thing, but I want to know if we have a, anything at the end, because in the film we get this like, where are they now mm-hmm. narration that we already discussed earlier is we find out in this moment is a nuke as an adult kind of relaying this tale to us as the audience. Um, and I want to know if we get the, like what happened with everybody kind of wrap up as well as the scene where Vian tosses her mother's ashes into the wind and decides officially to like stay because the wind comes calling again. Mm-hmm. She didn't leave earlier, but the wind calls again. And this time she satisfies the wind by tossing her mother's ashes into the wind and then staying put in whatever the name of this town is. So any of, any of that kind of play out the same in the book. Um, so we, kind of get a where are they now uh so when vn is thinking at the end of the book about how the town doesn't need her anymore she thinks back to like each person that she's met and how their situation has improved so in a way we get like a where are they now recap okay. at the end 
Uh, she doesn't scatter her mother's ashes. She doesn't even have them. Oh. Um, we're told that she scattered them years ago, like right after her mother died. Yeah. So that was a movie invention um, that I, I can't decide if it's a little bit cringy or like lovely in a basic symbolism kind of way. It's pretty basic symbolism, but I thought it worked. I was yeah. fine with it. This movie, again, it, a lot of it's not very subtle. And I think that one obnoxious critic we talked about in the prequel episode is probably his, a lot of his critiques had to do with the fact that this movie is not particularly like subtly crafted. It mm-hmm. is, it, it wears its message on its sleeve. Um, but I still found it very enjoyable and delightful despite being, you know, a, a little on the nose. And this moment I thought worked with the rest of the film in that regard of just being like, yeah, sure. makes perfect sense. The North wind comes calling again, but no, Scatter the ashes. Yeah. Wow. Uh, she, she, she doesn't need them anymore. She's not carrying her brother with her in the same way. She has found peace. She has found the place where she belongs. Whatever. It's fine. Like, I, yeah. It's, again, I think it works fine, in my opinion. But last question. We get this recurring thing in the film that I wanted to know if it came from the book. Is that when she meets Rue for the first time, he comes into the chocolate shop. And, well, it's not the first time she meets him, but. He comes into the chocolate shop eventually, and she, she she does her her you know she soul reads him and is like this is your favorite chocolate and he eats it and he's like this is amazing. Um, actually, he says something way sexier. I can't. The first time he says, <laughs> do you, you remember what I'm talking about? Oh, he says something very specific when she gives him that first chocolate that like I was like, I don't oh. remember? Oh no! Oh, he says something very specific. Hold on. I knew I wasn't going to be able to find it. Is it not in the quotes part of the IMDb page? I'm undone. What did he say? That's it. He says, I'm undone, Uh but not my favorite. Oh, man. (laughs) Yeah. Johnny Depp. Why does he have to be Johnny Depp? He's fully psychotic. (sighs) But, like... Up until like the post pirates era, so fucking hot. It's ridiculous. Uh, this movie, I was like, why does why does it have to be? Why does he have to be Johnny Depp? Why does Johnny Depp have to be so hot? <laughs> yeah, he's like, I'm undone. I'm like, oh god, that's a good, <laughs> good one, good line, good line. Uh, but anyways, and so he, there's this recurring gag where she keeps giving him different chocolate. I think it happens like two or three times, and then the final time. She gives her hot chocolate, or she gives him hot chocolate, and he's like, ah, you finally figured out my favorite hot chocolate or whatever. And I want to know if that recurring gag of, like, her not being able to Mm. guess, if him, like, foiling her powers or whatever came from the book. Um, It is a fun recurring joke, and I do like it, and I I like the kind of symbolism of him being kind of like a foil to that. Uh, But it is not from the book. Okay. All right. Those were all my questions. It's time to find out what Katie thought was better in the book. You like to read? Oh, yes. I love to read. What do you like to read? Everything. Okay, I'm going to try to move through some things here. Mm -hmm. Okay, so one of the biggest changes in this adaptation that we have not heretofore discussed is moving the setting. This book is set in contemporary times to when it was written. Oh, so I almost set, asked about this, but it's I didn't. set in the nineties, and the movie moves that to nineteen fifty nine. Yeah, and I think my theory, I think this change was made for two primary reasons. The first being aesthetics. You have this quaint little provincial town. Now you get to dress everyone in fun period clothes instead of late nineties fashions. 
especially the kids. Um, they get to wear like 1950s clothes instead of like Ninja Turtles t-shirts. Right. <laughs> yeah, it's much more. It creates a much more yes. like romantic tableau yes. than yeah, <laughs> the 90s. Now, my second thing is that I wonder if the screenwriters or the producers or somebody thought that the conservative behaviors from the townspeople wouldn't ring believable if the story were set in the present. Yes. So they took it back to a time period that everyone would already recognize as conservative. And that's the main reason that I have this and better in the book. I think that changing the time period undercuts the messaging. Modern people are bigots. I don't buy it. I, and <laughs> they, they are weird about letting people live their own lives and be happy. And they are judgmental about single mothers and women who leave their abusive husbands. But if the audience can brush all of that off by saying, oh, well, you know, it was a different time, then we don't have to unpack any of it. And that's unfortunate because unpacking it is exactly what the story wants us to do. I agree completely. I will say that the only other benefit of that, I, I agree completely with that. I, as soon as you started going, or you said it was in the 90s and going down that avenue, I was like, oh, yeah. Somebody was like, oh, no, well, you need to set it somewhere where where this feels more, quote unquote, believable. Yeah. That everybody is like, you know, super conservative and whatever. Um, but, yeah, I, I uh, 100% agree that that undercuts the message. At least a little bit. The message is still there. It just undercuts the like the timelessness and poignancy of the message. Um, the only slight caveat I'll get to that I'll give to that is that I think one of the other things that they kind of achieve by setting it in the time period that they did is a little bit of timelessness. Yeah. In the sense that because it's in this little provincial French town. There are provincial French towns that still look like that, like sure, yeah. look like that. And so I think setting it in a time period where the clothing is right on the edge of what is recognizably modern, mm -hmm. you kind of can be like it could be any time. Like we don't really see cars. We don't see technology like we don't super specifically date it in any way. It's mm -hmm. it, it almost feels right on the edge of that. Like I said, right on the edge of that time where if you if you weren't thinking about, if you didn't know when it was set. And actually, part of the reason I almost had this as a question, because I wasn't even sure until like most of the way through the movie yeah. when this was supposed to be. Yeah. The only big tell in the movie, I think that I can recall is the reference to, to the, the war. war. Yeah. That makes it very clear when it is. Um, but like I could buy without that direct reference that this could be a little French town in the nineties mm -hmm. with some like kind of strange fashion and like, you know, we don't see like modern phones or anything, but like, we just don't see like any technology. Like we don't even see dated 1950s technology mm -hmm. for the most part. Um, and so I think you could kind of make that argument. Because if you said it in the 90s and you make it look like the 90s, it's very clearly this is always in the You know what I mean? Yes, like If people are fair. wearing Ninja Turtle shirts and stuff, <laughs> it's it's the 90s. I'm sorry. Whereas if people are wearing kind of more generic 1959 clothes, it's like suits and dresses. Like, you know, it, again, people still wear stuff like that-ish. There's a little bit of timelessness to it. But that being said, I agree. It. I think what you're saying, I think the point is that I think somebody was like, no, we need to set this back at a time where people will buy that everybody was this conservative and bigoted because mm -hmm. it's the 90s. Damn it. We've got this all <laughs> sorted out. We're so accepting oh, now. Yeah, Boy, we really thought we did. Too, yeah, didn't we? Yes, we did. <laughs> we sure did. Uh, OK, so moving on. Um, Pontouf. Yes. Anouk's imaginary friend. I should have asked about that. but I, I totally get the decision 
to change Pontouf from a rabbit to a kangaroo. However, I think it was the wrong choice. I get it. Kangaroos are quirky and fun. Well, look how imaginative and kooky she is. But Pantouf being a rabbit echoes back to European folklore, in which rabbits are often featured as tricksters that disrupt the norm and bring about change. So it's meaningful in a way that's deeper than like surface level quirkiness. And it feels more like she has a familiar rather yeah. than an imaginary friend. Yeah, no, I, I agree. I think that makes sense. Kangaroo's fun, but yeah, it doesn't yeah. doesn't make as much. Yeah, sense. it doesn't really mean anything. They just, yeah, that was definitely just like it needs to be quirkier. Yeah, um, which brings me to my next point. The book is not shy about incorporating elements of witchcraft into the story. Now, the movie has this as well. The book is much more surface level with it. Uh, Vienne reads tarot. She scries in melting chocolate. She even casts a circle at one point in the book. And y'all knew I was going to eat that up. Um, and like I said, there is a definite witchy element in the movie, but the book is far more upfront about yeah, it. Yeah, no, it's it's pretty minimal in the film. Yeah. Like, it's there's not really... It's more just kind of a vague, like, yeah. supernatural. The, yeah, the, like, the movie is a little more like, is she or isn't she? And the book is like, she is. Well, and it's not even. I I would I would argue that a lot of people wouldn't even get like yeah. watching the film wouldn't even get anything implying that she's like maybe a witch or something like that. The movie really downplays it like yeah a lot <laughs> compared to what you're saying about the book. Uh, there's a little moment that I thought was funny in the book. Uh, the first time Vienne makes Armand hot chocolate, she spikes it with Kahlua. <laughs> nice. <laughs> the the movie does add, make a joke about that. Does it? Did they? I didn't catch it. Well, because she specifically after um, Armand has the hot chocolate for the first mm -hmm. time, she just starts talking and talking. And she says she says to Vienne, did you put something in that? She says, like, did you <laughs> spike my hot chocolate or did you put liquor in there or something like mm -hmm. that? And she goes, no, just it's just hot chocolate or whatever. Um, so the movie kind of alludes to that. But yeah, it doesn't doesn't actually do it. I don't really like the scene in the movie where Vienne angrily confronts Renault and then like yells at and beats up the statue yeah, outside yeah. the church. It's meh. Um, and it's also really wildly out of character from the book. Or in the book, she always prevents, presents herself as very unbothered. And that's something that really bothers yeah. Renault. And you get that from the rest of the film. I, I yeah. agree. That, that scene also felt a little out of character, yeah. even in the film to me, from the little, you know. Uh, the two hours we spend with her character, it fell out of character. So, uh, the scenes in the movie where Renault is trying to reform Sergey, mm -hmm. they're funny, but they also kind of yeah, suck away I the darkness of what he's done. Could not agree more. Um, the movie also loses the fact that Renault actually knew about the abuse the entire time mm. because of the confessional, and he just never tried to do anything about it yeah. or like uh, even like encourage him to like hey maybe maybe don't beat your wife yeah <laughs> like <laughs> yeah no i agree completely with the first half of that i mean obviously the second half too but like the first half it i that scene where he's like sitting in sunday school or whatever yeah and it's like this like funny like look at yeah. this guy uh, sitting in this chair being like he doesn't know the answers to the sunday school questions like this is a man who's just almost beat his wife to death in the last scene and we're like mm -hmm. playing little fun jokes now okay <laughs> <laughs> don't love that <laughs> Again, it's it's to infantilize him and, and make him the butt. He is the butt of the joke, but it, it comes across a little more lighthearted than it feels yeah. like it probably should, given his actions. Yeah. 
So in the book, um, it's actually like the neighborhood kids who come up with the idea for Vienne to have the chocolate festival. And she just like goes with it. Like she's got this group of kids in the shop and they're like, why don't you have a big festival? And she's like, why don't I? That's a great idea. We'll have a festival. I thought it was cute. Yeah, she just kind of comes up with it herself. Yeah. I mentioned earlier that there's a scene in the book where uh, Josephine is cornered in the cafe by her husband. Mm -hmm. Um, And in that scene, Armand is actually the one to go in and like shame him into letting Mm -hmm. her out. Um, And it's a great scene where she really like she goes in and she's a lady made of steel. Yeah. So at the end of the book, it's implied that Rue and Josephine actually get together. And they hated this the first time that I read the book because I wanted it to be more like the movie. But now I think I kind of adore it. Like, I I feel like not everything needs to tie up with this nice little like Hollywood bow where the main characters end up together. I don't know. I think it's interesting. Yeah, it's interesting. I like the movie's version. Yeah, I want to like the movie's version too. But it's kind of like, it's unexpected, I guess. Yeah, and I think it, yeah, it is definitely, without reading the book and knowing how that we get there, but yeah, mm-hmm. I, I could see it working for sure. Uh, at the very end of the movie, the statue in the town square smiles, I and I did that. not. I did not like it. I, did not I didn't that like at it at all. It like CGI like really? smiles, no, and that's I was terrible. Creepy. I didn't even notice that. I did not even notice it. Yeah, no, boo, don't like it. <laughs> all right, time to find out what Katie thought was better in the movie. My life has taught me one lesson, Hugo, and not the one I thought it would. Happy endings only happen in the movies. So the book has Vienne and Anouk arrive uh, in the town the day of the Mardi Gras festival, which is really fun, but I get why they changed it for the movie so that we can more quickly set up like what this town's deal is. Because the day that they roll in in the book is kind of like an anomaly where they're all like outside having fun, Mm -hmm. an outlier that should not have been counted. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, There's a scene in the movie where the kids make fun of Anouk for having an imaginary friend, which I think rings true, sadly. Yeah. Uh, And and it doesn't seem to be an issue in the book that she has an imaginary friend. Yeah. I like the scene in the movie where Renaud goes into the hairdressers and like is being sneaky, but like not really because he's not very good at being sneaky, but is like spreading gossip about Vienne. My favorite moment in that scene was the very quick shot where the one woman in the hairdryer slinks down so that her ears (laughs) are out of the hairdryer so she can hear the hot goss. (laughs) Love that moment. Oh, we also mentioned the couple that comes in for the uh, aphrodisiac cacao nibs. Um, and I just thought this exchange was funny when they come back for more and Vienna's like, how many do you want? And she's, they're like, well, how many do you how have? Many you got? <laughs> yep. There's a little scene where, uh, in the cafe where Anouk wins at cards with like some of the, like the old guys, the old yeah. guys in the town. It's a little cliche, yeah. but it's still it's cute. Oh, yeah. uh, um, the guy with the dog, I'm not 100% sure how to pronounce his name. Uh, Guillaume 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 I don't know uh, So he does have His little dog Yeah In the book And his dog 
we don't go into this in the movie. His dog dies in the book because mm. um, he's very, very old. Yeah, he does say that yeah. in the movie that it's like a 14-year-old dog or whatever. And there's one particular scene in the movie where he's like in the confessional talking to the priest about it, um, about how in Catholic doctrine says that animals don't have souls, which I disagree with. Yeah. Um, but that is what the doctrine is. So right. the priest is like, well, you know that the animals don't have souls. Yeah. Um, and then he talks about like like giving his dog like treats, yeah. like chocolate, the treats from the shop. And the, the, priest, pri- is the like, priest is yeah. like, but it's Lent. And he's You're breaking like, Lent or breaking but if Lent. if Charlie has no soul, then there is no harm in him breaking Lent. <laughs> yeah. And first off, I adore that exchange. Yeah. Um, the idea that dogs don't have souls like is from the book, but it's kind of a darker element and it really bothers him a lot in yeah. the book. So I kind of enjoyed this like lighter take on it. Yeah. Also, the dog doesn't die in the yeah. movie. So I like that. Too. Although uh, the movie does have a dumb joke where the dog eats. I had a note about this in Odds and Ends. The dog eats, I think, a bunch of unrefined cacao nibs, yeah. which one I think would kill it. Probably. I can't imagine unrefined cacao is is good for dogs, considering yeah. it, most chocolate is very bad for dogs. Uh, and and then in the scene right after that, the dog goes and starts humping another dog. And I was like, oh, okay, okay, yeah, great. Uh, Didn't need that. Lowest common denominator yeah, not kind ideal. of a joke. No. There's a specific scene where Renault comes into the chocolate shop in the movie and Vienne is holding a tray of like little, they look like Hershey kisses. Yeah. Um, and she holds it up and says, can I interest you in some nipples of Venus? <laughs> yes. Love that he's line. very clearly uncomfortable yes. with it. Um, uh, I've already forgotten how we decided his name was Guillaume. Guillaume. I, I thought it was very sweet to give him like a late in life romance. Yeah. I thought that from was the nice. movie. Yeah. Um, when the river rats arrive, uh, Anouk rushes to get Vienne to see the pirates. Um, and she runs down to the the riverbank with her. And as they're approaching the riverbank, we see an- another mother, like, dragging her kids oh, away. Yeah. Um, and I thought it was a nice little bit of, like, visual yep. symbolism yep. or visual aid. I really like the scene in the movie where Sergei goes and apologizes to Josephine. And the reason I like it is because she accepts his apology and then does not go and tells back him with to fuck him. Off. Yeah. yeah, yeah. She's like, I accept your apology. Now get yeah. lost. Because yeah. there is this definite expectation that if you apologize for something, yeah. that that person has to accept it and has to like Do forgive it, like, and forget. Yeah, forgive and forget. Yeah. And this movie says, Nah, yeah. fuck that. No, nah, you can accept an <laughs> apology and be like, You're right. Thank you for apologizing. Bye. <laughs> <laughs> I like that the movie gives Caroline some backstory and depth. We get a little bit of like character growth redemption arc for her. Mm-hmm. In the book, she's just kind of a raging bitch from start to finish. Yeah. There's not not really anything deeper going on there. Yeah, in the film, she definitely she kind of sees the effect that Vienne has had on Armand and then Armand with Luke and mm-hmm. it kind of softens her heart and yeah. makes her and I think she, reevaluate yeah, her relationship yeah, with Armand. Yeah, comes to this realization that the way that she's been behaving has yeah. not done any good for them. For anybody, yeah. 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 I like the movie's gentler take on Rue. Um, in the book, he's kind of like a standoffish hothead. Well, it would have been a lot easier for Johnny Depp to play that role. <laughs> But I think the the movie's like very gentle take on him is a little less expected. Yeah. 
On my last note, I like that Josephine renames the cafe after Armand in the movie. Yeah, yeah, I thought that was sweet. A uh, question, uh, just, I just yeah, thought of it because I, I don't know why I didn't have it in there. The scene with the where he pretends to eat the worm, is that in the book? No, it's not. That's a fun scene. <laughs> yeah. I like that scene a lot. All right, we got a handful of things that the movie nailed. As I expected, practically perfect in every way. Just a couple of little details here. Uh, VN does correct Renault when he calls her Madame. She's like, oh, no, no. Mademoiselle. It's Mademoiselle. Yeah. I'm not married. Scandal. Scandalous. Uh, there's a little brief scene where we see uh, Vian ask Anouk for a kiss goodbye, and she runs up and like licks her cheek like a dog oh, instead of I kissing her. It's know. a really brief scene, um, and because I had just read the book, I caught that that was, in fact, from the book. Yeah. Uh, Lena Olin does a fantastic bang-up job as Josephine like yeah. incredible no, work yeah like i said I, I her character was maybe the most interesting to yeah me. in a movie with a lot of interesting characters i thought she was very well and especially uh, like like the very beginning where she seems like a little bit unhinged yeah, and, and like, we're we're not sure what her deal yeah, is like, is she kind of like insane or yeah something? and then like the on. character growth yeah. that we see for her yeah fantastic uh, Caroline, Caroline does distribute racist flyers for everyone to put in their shop windows. Yep. Something that happens in the book. Armand yep. does have secret diabetes and she doesn't want to change her lifestyle. Those flyers though, real quick, if you, if you've seen this movie or you, if you haven't, but I, I mean, if you're sorry, if you've seen this movie and uh, uh, those flyers, the language of fucking... <laughs> conservative mm -hmm. authoritarians never changes mm -mm. the language of bigots is the same always <laughs> it is it's identical to every like it's i i would have to go find it but it's literally identical to to every talking point you we turn on tucker carlson it's insane <laughs> also don't turn on Tucker. no carlson. <laughs> absolutely don't unless you hate yourself i'm just yeah I, uh, so my last note here is kind of a it's not exactly the same but it's very similar in spirit um when renault discovers exactly what sergey has done um and realizes that he's kind of complicit in what happened he does get this sudden like disgust and basically like he doesn't evict him from the town because he's the priest in the book and he can't do that yeah but he does like tell him to like go away um, and to not come around anymore. All right. We got a handful of odds and ends before we get to the final verdict. So the, the kid who plays Luke, I didn't write his name down, but we were watching the movie and I was like, the kid looks like somebody and I think he just looks like somebody because he's literally only been in yes. this movie. No, I had the same thought and I couldn't figure <laughs> out what it was. But that kid looks so much yeah. like someone. someone. And I could not figure it out because I did the same thing. I looked up. He's like literally only been in this yeah. film. And I was like, wait, he, how yeah, is that possible? He, he made this one movie and was like, that's enough. He looks identical to some kid from some yeah. movie that I've seen. And I could not figure out what it was. I was like so positive that I was recognizing him like as an adult from something oh, like a little bit yeah. older, but yeah, he's only been in this movie. So I don't know what I was seeing. in that. I thought but... I recognized him like as a kid from something else. 
Um, so I think there's a kid, another, there was another kid actor mm-hmm. that looks, that looked like him when they were, I, I if you think you know what we're yeah, talking about, I could, I had the exact let same us know. thought because I, I spent quite a little bit of time Googling and could not figure out what it was. <laughs> Uh, there's this very quick scene, speaking of the kids, where they're playing, like, hide-and-seek or something. I don't know. They're just, like, playing. It's, like, a random quick shot. But they're, like, hiding under these roots. Yeah, these like in roots, the side of a hill. In the side of a hill. It. I was like, is this where they filmed the scene from uh, <laughs> Fellowship of the Ring where they hide be. from the yeah. ring wraiths? Because it is... It looked so similar. Like, the way the roots and the way it underhangs. And, again, I'm sure that happens... Right, lots of places where that happens, but man, it I th- I was like that has to be the same <laughs> same spot. I, again, I have no idea. If, I, actually, in fact, surely it wasn't because we didn't film this in New Zealand. Uh, although I think some auxiliary filming for Lord of the Rings happened other places, mm-hmm. but probably was not. But it sure looked like it. I, I'm curious to know what you thought about Johnny Depp's Irish accent. I thought it was okay, but I don't know. I don't know yeah. enough about accents. I was like, I think not. it's subtle enough for him to get away with it. Yeah. But I really don't know anything about accent work. Yeah, I watched, I, I'm terrible. I, I watched a TikTok once where this girl was like, I don't ever know when wigs are bad. So if I know when you have bad wigs in your movie, then your wigs are really, really bad. That's me with accents. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> if I know your accent is bad, it's really, really bad. Yeah, it has to be very bad for me to 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 recognize it for sure. Same. Because uh, I thought the same thing about Carrie Ann Moss's French in this movie. See, I didn't really I was notice. Like, I don't know if her French accent is very good, but uh, <laughs> it could be. I I don't know if you noticed. There's one scene where Johnny Depp. I think it's the first time he comes to the chocolate shop. I don't know. I, I'm like this positive. is when they walk into the cafe. I think is what you're thinking. No, because she runs upstairs to play with. I think she runs upstairs to play with a nuke. Yeah, but she's with him in the cafe. Yes, she is. They're in two scenes or whatever. Yeah. But anyways, there's this little girl with them, and it's never explained who she is. It could yeah. be his daughter. Could just be another or another one of the, who knows. But that little girl that is with she has the most cartoonishly gigantic eyes. Yeah, I have her ever eyes seen. are massive. It's insane. She looks like a it doll. Didn't look real. I was like, <laughs> what is that? That child does not look real. <laughs> their <laughs> eyes are too big for their head. It looked like that that movie that James Cameron movie from a few years ago. I can't remember. Not Akira, but whatever. There was some movie, it was like an anime, like an animated where the, it's like a, it looks, it's like photorealistic animation. Yeah. And the main character kind of looks like a human, but she's like a synthetic person or whatever. And her eyes are like, yeah. she has like anime eyes. <laughs> and I was like, it looked like that. I was like, that can't, how is that a real child? What is happening? Um, so the, you mentioned the scene where Johnny Depp pretends to eat a worm. Yeah. That scene always makes me laugh because he pretends to eat it. And then he takes it outside and releases it, like, in the middle of the street. Yeah, just in the middle of the street. <laughs> it's just like, here. Not in the dirt. Here you go. It might be a dirt street, but either way, it's it still like in the gravel. middle. It's like gravel. I'm like, I put it in the grass, man. Yeah. Come on. Yeah, just right in the middle of the street. It's like, okay, well, that's definitely going to get either eaten by a bird or stepped on or something. <laughs> or dry up. Yeah, or dry up and die. For sure. Uh, during the big feast scene, they, they're going around eating and they're pouring... They have like a big roast chicken and all this stuff. And at one point they're eating the chicken and they're pouring something out of a gravy boat that or a ladle that I was like, is that gravy or is that chocolate? And I couldn't decide. I was like, this is a weird. It's, it's obviously a mole. 
I know what a mole is. I did not think because I'm like, I'm aware there are chocolate sauces for savory foods. Yeah. I am I am aware, but it did not look like the right cuisine to me for I a mole. Mole is know. like, you know, I don't know. I I just didn't because it's like a roast chicken. And I know you put mole on all kinds of stuff, but it just, I, it just it's like French cuisine. I don't think a mole makes maybe she's, it does. she's making fusion she cuisine. She's doing fusion, I guess. It just it just didn't strike me as like a, 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 a melding of cuisines that made a lot of sense, but <laughs> whatever. Uh, so I truly, before I say this, I have to clarify because I do this sometimes and I don't, I, I'm truly not trying to like steal their friendship or force that like every two women in a movie have to love each other romantically or whatever. But <laughs> I truly feel like Via and Josephine have this very subtle romantic energy that permeates every scene that they have together in this movie. No, I think you're right. They have crazy chemistry. It's wild. Like, they have more chemistry than she does with Johnny Depp. Yeah, and she has pretty good chemistry yeah. with Johnny Depp. I was, it's, it's like crackling under the surface <laughs> of every scene in a way that was like, are they going to go there? Like, it felt like that was where this was going to end up, which would have been great. The, the let them run the chocolate. It makes perfect <laughs> sense. But man, it, there is something about their interactions and the way it just felt. I don't know. I didn't feel I, I'm glad I didn't. You felt it. And I didn't. <laughs> then we just, we just have a uh, fried green tomatoes. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so I realized <laughs> reading this book. I was like, how have I never realized that this story is basically a retelling of the Scarlet Letter? It's the Scarlet Letter. Is it? Do we have an illegitimate mother with mm -hmm. uh, her daughter in yeah, the okay, in yeah. the town, the conservative town, and she's marked by her otherness. And it goes even further in the movie because they wear like the scarlet red cloaks. Oh yeah, they do. Yeah, yeah. right. Yeah, and there's a, a recurring thing in the book too, where she refers to Renault as the black man, um, which is like a folklore, like it could refer to the devil kind of right, a thing, yeah. which is also a call to the Scarlet Letter, because huh. they talk about the black man in the yeah. woods and the Scarlet Letter. But the Scarlet Letter, she doesn't like bring the town together and like turn them into like. It's been a long Does time she? since I, I read, I, the I read it in high school letter. or middle school. I don't or something, think so. so though. I didn't think so either. That's what I was, I was. I was trying to figure out where these two stories sort of diverged because I, I mean, like, it's not a retelling so much as this book has like very clear, obvious yes. nods yeah, 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 to yeah. Yeah. the Scarlet Letter. Right, right, right. I was just yeah because because um, literary it, illusions. Yes, I, I was just yeah. I was comparing it to because we just did Drive and I talked about how yeah. similar that was to Shane. And, and and I was trying to figure out, like, I was like, I don't think it's as, you know, as similar. I don't think it's as no, similar it's not as, as Drive as was as to similar. Shane, I guess, is what I was kind of getting at. But anyways, and we mentioned in the prequel episode, the last note here for Odds and Ends, that it, it, there was a trivia note that the final shot of the film as the camera flies up out of the town square over the village um, the director, I swear the note I read said that he had a man walk through the square, but that's absolutely yeah, I thought a that dog was what, running. I was watching. I didn't even see the There's dog. There's a dog. There is a giant dog runs through the square huh. at some point. I'm pretty sure it was. A dog. It looked like to me like a dog ran through the square at some point. And I will say uh, that 
I, I understand why he wanted something in that shot because it does kind of look like a miniature and it's a very impressive shot the way it's pulled off mm -hmm. the way it, uh, the, the distance you move and how far you pull out and, and the, yeah. the way and it's, it's stabilized it's very, it's very smooth yeah it's very smooth and it's um it does feel a little bit like a miniature so I get why he was like no we need something in the square to like you know, <laughs> maybe it, it was is... a miniature and he just released like a bug yeah it's an ant <laughs> an ant running through the yeah. yeah it could be it could be but anyways all right before we get to the final verdict we want to remind you you can do us a giant favor by heading over to all of our social media facebook twitter instagram goodreads any of those places follow us like us subscribe to us all that good stuff uh we could really appreciate it because uh, we love to hear from you we're gonna have posts after this episode comes out in a few days uh where we want to hear what you had to say about chocolate and then we'll discuss that on our next prequel episode so go follow us on all the social media. Also, if you could do us a giant favor, uh, if you can't support us financially, which we'll talk about in just a second, head over to iTunes or Stitcher or wherever you're listening to our podcast. Give us a five-star review. Write down some something nice about us. Uh, helps us out. Gets us better in the algorithm. Blah, blah, blah. You know the deal. Really would appreciate that. And finally, if you can support us financially, head over to patreon.com slash thisfilmislit. Give us a couple bucks a month. We'll give you access to some bonus stuff at five bucks up five bucks and up a month you get access to bonus content where every month we release a bonus episode uh talking about some sort of movie or something or whatever uh that is not you know based on a book or whatever just kind of whatever we want to talk about uh, last month we did, did dread mm -hmm. and this month we will be doing the emperor's new groove the emperor's new groove so there you go that'll be out before too long we'll be watching and talking about the emperor's new groove uh and then at the 15 dollar and up level you get access to priority recommendations this was not one but if you give us 15 bucks or more a month uh and you have something you would really like us to talk about shoot it to us in a message on patreon we will add it to our list and move it up as high in the you know the schedule as we can uh to kind of get to get what you want to talk about what you want us to talk about so there you go that's it katie it's time for the final verdict now <laughs> Are you ready for your sentence? Sentence? But there must be a verdict first. Sentence first. Verdict afterwards. So I want to start by saying that I adore this movie. It's fun. It's aesthetically pleasing. It's quite light considering the gravity of the subject matter. Um, still has a lot of really great messages. I also think it's a really good like romantic movie option for someone who doesn't care for traditional rom-coms or like heady period romance just because you know it's almost Valentine's Day so I've got that on my mind uh, this has you know it has romantic elements but romance isn't the point it's not the main focus of the story yeah so when I first read this book um, I think almost exactly a decade ago I had already seen the movie and loved it. And while I enjoyed the book at that time, I felt pretty firmly that the movie was better. But in revisiting both as an older person, I have come to think differently. The book tackles some pretty heavy themes and topics. It explores toxicity and bigotry in small town settings. It digs into generational trauma, and it takes a hardline stance in criticizing religion and conservatism. 23-year-old Katie loved the movie, and 33-year-old Katie still loves it. And honestly, I think I still prefer the ending of the movie to the ending of the book, overall. But 
at 33, I can appreciate the book's themes and messages in a way that I couldn't at 23. And I think that in the movie's pursuit of something a little more fun and a little more romantic, those themes and messages got somewhat watered down. They're still there, but with nowhere near the intensity that the book brings to the table. And for that reason, I'm going to give this one to the book. There you go. Katie, what's next? Up next, we are truly changing tracks. Yes, we are. Um, And we are going to be talking about the 2009 adaptation is that, that right 2009 right. yeah, I saw adaptation this in college, so that of um of watchmen watchmen it is our this is a, we we're, we're we we cannot promise we will ever do another graphic novel again but we are breaking <laughs> the seal this one time to be fair this is a very contained yes it is one and graphic that, that novel is, that is really the only comic yeah. book adaptation i would be interested in doing is something very contained one graphic novel or what i mean i know there are more but like the 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 movie is an adaptation of this one you know uh graphic novel so yeah it makes it a little more easy than if we were to do something else you know Mm -hmm. we're not going to do iron man (laughs) or whatever you couldn't pay me enough to touch a marvel adaptation exactly so uh we're just not even going to get it there's just way too much whereas this is a way more contained way more kind of feasible for the format of our show and that sort of thing and it's going to be a switch episode i am reading watchmen i'm very excited I've seen the film. You probably have. I have not seen the film. Never read that. I don't even really know what it's about. Um, but I'm going to be taking a break. Yeah, I've seen the film. <laughs> I enjoyed it, but didn't love it. But part of that was I was 21 when this came out, yeah. and I was ex- hoping for a much more action adventure, mm-hmm. co- you know, comic booky kind of movie, and it's not really that. Um, but I, I still liked it. I, I remember liking it at the time, but just not like it really gripping me. So I'm really interested to see what I think, especially comparing it to the, the graphic novel. Cause I know I have heard, I don't know the changes, but I have heard there are significant deviations yeah. that are very well, this polarizing. Is, yeah. This is one of those comic book adaptations that a lot of people don't like, right? Well, it's complicated. I think, I think what I've heard <laughs> is that they like a lot about it. It depends on the person, obviously, but I think in general, a lot of people like a lot of what the movie, how the movie adapt adapts stuff, but also, some of the changes people mm-hmm. really don't like. So it's kind of a mixed bag, I think. I, I don't I don't know. I'm not up on the discourse, <laughs> thankfully, which I think honestly is kind of good going into a, a little bit blind, kind of form my own opinions. But um, but yeah, it is there there are big changes, especially I think with how things end basically. Mm-hmm. Uh, kind of to the ending, there are some large changes. But we will get into all of that in two weeks' time when we talk about Watchmen, and in one week's time. We're seeing what all of you had to say about Chocolat and previewing Watchmen. And until that time, guys, gals, non-binary pals, and everybody else. Keep reading books. Keep watching movies. And and keep keep being being awesome. awesome.